Luke chapter 7, we're going to see one of the most wonderful and amazing stories, I think, in all of Scripture and how it reveals the heart of Jesus and what he's like toward sinners. Luke chapter 7, we're going to be beginning at verse 36. Before we do, let's pray. Father, your goodness, your kindness, and your love is beyond finding out, beyond measure, beyond our complete grasp. But Father, is so great and kind of you to allow us to see, to understand, to know. We're so thankful that we, as your people, have been drawn in, have been given eyes to see our own sin, been given eyes to see Jesus and his great love toward us. I pray, Father, this morning that you would further open our eyes, that we, our faith would grow, that we would know and we would understand your greatness. Help us, Father, please. May we all, may every one of us see See ourselves in our wretchedness, our sinfulness. See you and all your holiness and then see Jesus' forgiveness. And may we see that clearly. May our hearts be so stirred and moved that we would act like this woman in the story. That we would respond to you with hearts filled with joy and gladness. For we ask this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees, Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, or he actually didn't say to him, he said to himself, this was his thoughts, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman This is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet 
with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, obviously, the point of this passage of Scripture is plain. It ought to be plain anyways. As Jesus says in the story, those who are forgiven much, what do they do? They love much. And yet, as easy as it is to say that, what isn't so easy for a person to see is perhaps their need of forgiveness. And then once they do, to receive the forgiveness that is offered to them by Jesus. It's easy to talk about. But it isn't easy for us to grasp all the time. In the story before us, the sinful woman was not only, not only saw her need of forgiveness, but she received the forgiveness of Jesus and it completely transformed her. This is why we need, to, we need eyes to see. Because only when we see our sin, we see our pride, our selfishness, our unthankfulness, our self-exaltation, our greed, lust, hate, cowardice, laziness, weakness, and on and on it goes. And that bothers us. Do we truly see ourselves rightly? Only then do we see ourselves rightly. And then on the other hand, if we see the holiness and the righteousness of God, God in all His glory, the purity of His love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and faithfulness. When we see His power, His wisdom, His transcendent glory, only then does our true condition become more than we can bear and we cry out, O Lord, have mercy. And then, when we're in that condition, Jesus comes to us and says, I forgive you. And those become the sweetest words in all the world. And they bring us to, to tears of joy, just like the woman in this story. To give a little context and to set the stage for what is going on here, I want us to understand the setting. Otherwise, I think sometimes the story gets really confused and misunderstood. And I'm actually going to do something that I haven't done before. I'm going to show you a slide on here because this is so helpful. When we come to this particular story and understanding the context of the story, I would venture to bet that most of us think when we hear about the table that Jesus is at and we hear him dining, we think of him sitting at a table like ourselves. Actually, I went on Google and I searched some images and it's funny. You know, the long flowing hair Jesus, that good looking guy who's there with the disciples, he's at the table, they're all gawking at him, he's there with this woman at his feet, they're all sitting at a chair, they eat just like us. But in reality, this is how they would dine at someone's house. And I, if you've noticed, these are like couches that sit around. And the food is in the center part there. And on the outside, you'd have servants coming around. There would be hustling and bustling of servants, bringing food, taking stuff away. They would do things like wash your feet and so on. This is, notice how their feet stick out the back. And so it was a very easy place for a servant. It would have been a very common thing for a servant to pull up with a, a basin and a towel and to wash your feet. Nobody's noticing. They also could have, you know, the, the Pandora and the wireless speaker wasn't working at the time. So what they had... 
There's probably, you see at this one end, you have people playing the flute and the tambourine and stuff. It was very common also to have some entertainment because we all know when we're feasting and dining and stuff, it's nice to have some music in the background. So it was a little hustle and bustle. And so in this particular setting, it's not as weird. Like when I think of this, and I think of actually this woman coming up to Jesus and start washing his feet, it starts to get weird. Because I think of it in my context. That would not go over so well. It would be very obvious. It, would, it wouldn't be that everything goes and acts as if nothing's too strange here. The only strange part that, if you'll notice, is because Simon, he knows who this woman is. The rest of them don't. Well, Jesus does. So that, that's the strange part, is that, Simon, that she is this sinner in the community. The rest of them probably would have thought, well, then here's this, this servant. This servant who's here doing what servants normally do, they would have paid no attention to her at all. They're just people in the background, and they're in the background, and they're helping out. Now, without understanding this, without seeing this context, could you imagine being at a guest's house, you're sitting at the table, and someone comes up to you, gets down on their knees. You have to, like, say, what's going on? You scoot yourself back, and there they're, they start at your feet. They're weeping and wiping your feet. It's more than embarrassing. This would be, um, this would be a horrible situation. It would be awful. But you have to understand, this is a common scenario for someone to be at your feet and to be taking care of your feet because they all wear sandals. They all walk on dusty roads. And if you've ever wore sandals and walked on a dusty road, you know what your feet get like. Nasty. So they need cleaning. It was a very common thing happening in the Bible. And so what we have to understand here is that in this moment, it's not as awkward and as weird as it might be if you imagine it happening today. It was very normal. She was off in the distance. But Jesus gladly receives her tears of joy. We don't need the picture any longer, so unless you want to look at it while I speak. The woman here, if you look at verse 37, how she identified. This woman is identified as a sinner. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. It says, who was a sinner. Now, what does that mean, who was a sinner? Why does it say it like this? Now, this means that this woman was an open and flagrant sinner out in the open. Everyone identified her as a sinner. And most likely, the kind of sin that she's open and flagrant about is that she's probably a prostitute. And because, like, they wouldn't identify someone, oh, there's a sinner, unless that person was open and flagrant about it in, in public. Because the truth be known, that Pharisee sitting at the table was probably just, is just as much of a sinner and has sinned just as much, but he wasn't an open, flagrant sinner. He does it in private, in secret. And Jesus knows this. But she was out in the open. And so it's important for, for us to understand that this, this lady is not somebody who's respected in the community. She's seen as somebody who's actually someone you don't want to be seen with. It's not the kind of company you like to keep, if you know what I mean. If you get seen with certain people, you get identified as a certain person. And this is kind of what's going on. But she goes to Jesus' feet in verse 38, and there she starts to weep. Now, I couldn't imagine the kind of weeping that she was doing because she's weeping so much that... The tears are enough to water his feet and wash them. Like, 
it's, we're not talking a couple drops. We're talking she's pouring out. Her heart is melting, and it's just, it's not stopping. It's just coming out of her. And with, obviously, with all the hustle and bustle and everything that's going on as, at this particular feast, people aren't really, it's not like you're hearing a, this person like wailing and sobbing. It's not it. She's probably very self-contained, but just all her emotion and everything's coming out her eyeballs, and she's wetting Jesus' feet. And so we have to ask the obvious question. Were those tears of contrition and sorrow? Or were those tears of joy and thankfulness? What was going on with this woman? It's the question I asked, the question I was thinking about. Because it's not easy to tell upon the first reading. When somebody's weeping, you, want, you immediately ask, are they sad? Or are they happy? We're not sure. Sometimes when people are weeping from joy, it's often confused as sadness, isn't it? Have you ever heard your little kids say, why are they so sad? Oh, they're not. They're actually happy. What? How are they happy? They're crying. Well, those are tears of joy. What? Uh, you only cry when you're sad. You get spanked. That's it. Yeah, you get stung by a bee. You cry. You don't cry when you're happy. You laugh. You jump up and down for joy. So, you know, it's like, what's going on with this woman? It's not easy to tell, though. But when we look at verse 41 and following, and we look at the parable, when Jesus kicks in here, he starts tearing, telling this parable about the money lenders. Two people have a large sum of uh, uh, debts, one a large sum and one a smaller sum, and they're both forgiven by the, the debt holder. Which one loves the most? And so he says, asks this question, and then Jesus, applying the point of the parable, turns to the woman and says to Simon in verse 44, Do you see this woman? And he says, I entered your house, and she hasn't stopped showing this love. She hasn't stopped washing my feet with her tears and wiping it with her hair and anointing with oil, and yet you didn't do any of that. And he's talking about a response to what has been done for them. In the parable, the response is according to the debt that's been forgiven them. And he says, in like manner, she's responding because of the debt forgiven her. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. And then in verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven, past tense, are forgiven. They're done. They're forgiven. So she's a forgiven lady. This woman is so overwhelmed with joy and with gladness and thanksgiving. She can't contain herself. When we were, uh, how great thou art, we're singing that. Have you ever, as you, as, you, as you grasp what God has done for you, you know what it does is it melts your heart and you find that tears start coming to your eyes. They're not tears of sadness, but of joy and of gladness. This woman wants nothing more than to serve him, to give to him all she has. And this is why she pours this expensive. In those days, that ointment, or it's perfumed, it smells really good, that's kind of, that stuff's expensive, it's hard to get. She has a flask, and she breaks it, and she pours it out. Typically, it would be carried around the neck, the flask of it, and they have a little cork on it, and they, she pours it out on his feet and anoints his feet with this. She doesn't care what it costs her. She could care less. That's the last thing on her mind, the cost. I just want to give him everything because he has just done everything for me. I just want to bless him, and I want to worship him. This woman is gushing with elation and joy, and she was still reeling from the emotion of being forgiven by Jesus. The debt was so huge that she's overwhelmed by it. She knows she was dirty. She knows she was unclean. 
She knows she was vile and sinful. She knows, she knows that she is, is someone who has a mountain of debt. And yet, she knew just as deeply that Jesus washed her clean. She knew she was made whole and was completely free from the burden of sin. It was a love she had never known in her life. All she's ever known is being abused and beaten down and, and felt ugly and dirty and nasty for everything she's done. Her soul was aflame with thankfulness to Jesus. And Jesus gladly receives her joyful tears as an act of worship, delights in it. You know, the biggest reason why we don't respond to Jesus with uncontainable joy and thanksgiving that just gushes is because we either A, we don't understand our own sinfulness, or B, we don't understand God's holiness, or C, we don't believe in Jesus' forgiveness. It's one of them. Because if we don't understand our own sinfulness, even though we might have a good idea of God's holiness and Jesus' forgiveness, it doesn't move us that much. Why? Because we're kind of self-righteous. We don't really see, okay, that's cool and all. We're like the guy who has a small little debt, or maybe no debt at all. I can't think of too much I've ever done. So yeah, it's great that Jesus forgives. No problem. He says he's forgiven much. What does he do? Loves much. He's forgiven little. What does he say? Loves little. So if you think there's little to forgive, cool. Jesus forgives. Next, let's move on. That's what happens. Yet if we don't, on the other hand, let's just say we understand our own, uh, our own sinfulness, but we don't understand God's holiness. Our sinfulness often doesn't bother us that much. Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. Oh, man, I've done lots of stuff bad. I'm a bad dude. Yeah, you wouldn't believe what I've done. I've done so much stuff that you wouldn't... And we, we can go on bragging about it. You wouldn't believe it. I, got, I can one-up you on that one. You think that was bad. You should listen to what I did. You know, I did this, and I've done that, and I've done this. And, man, I'm the, I'm the baddest dude around. Does that bother you? Not much. Why not? Why should it? It's only when we understand God's holiness and understand how great He is and how much we've had that sin is a sin against Him that it starts to grip us and get a hold of us and we get a concept of, of our true condition. We can't just even know our own sinfulness. And we can't just know, you know, maybe it's God's holiness that we know. If we just know His holiness, and, and, and let's just say we just know, our, and we know our forgiveness, uh, sorry, not our forgiveness, but we know our sinfulness, and we know those two things, we still, there's a third thing we must know, because if we know that we're sinful, we know that God's holy, and we get that, you know what, if we don't understand Christ's forgiveness, you know what will happen? We will be buried under condemnation and guilt, and we'll live our lives like, oh, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, woe is me. And our lives are filled with guilt and are filled with shame and are filled with disgust and are filled with pain and sorrow and we hate life. We loathe living. All three must be there. God must give us eyes to see our own sinfulness, God's holiness and Christ's forgiveness. And then we must take and lay hold of Christ's forgiveness and receive it. 
Because when it's only upon taking hold of it and receiving that do we actually do we actually get to that point where our hearts break forward forth with thankfulness and joy and gladness. That we're like this woman, we were brought to tears and to weeping, and we can't believe that God would forgive us, and we're so thankful. We just want to rejoice. I just want to praise Him. I just want to delight in Him. I just want to love Him. I just want to serve Him. I just want to bless Him. And I don't care what costs me. I do lavish things. Why? Because He lavishly loved me and gave Himself for me. Oh, there's no end. There's no limit. There's no, there's no cost too big. I would give it all. Who can say that? Who will do that? Who would give it all for Jesus? Only those that know that Jesus gave it all for them. And you, if you don't know that, if you don't know your sinfulness, you don't know God's holiness, and you don't know Jesus' forgiveness, you can't. You won't love much. You won't. Try as you might. I need to love more. Yeah, you're right. Man, I wish I was more loving. Why is my heart so cold? Why am I so indifferent? Why is it like blah, blah, blah? It's because you have no eyes to see. That's the gift of God. To see yourself, to see God, and to see his grace in Jesus. That is the most precious and the most blessed gift in all the world. And you know what happens when people actually receive this and believe this and it transforms them? All of a sudden... It always happens that Jesus and his followers get spurned by the religious hypocrites. Spurned by the hypocrites. Simon, the Pharisee, he's watching what's taking place. And what does he go to say? What's he doing in verse 39? If you look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, this was Simon, he saw this. He said, who did he say to? He said to himself, right? If this were a prophet, thinking to himself, if this were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman is uh, touching him right now. I love this. Because Jesus sees his bet and raises him a few grand. Not only do I know who's touching my feet. Hey, Simon, get this one. I know what you're thinking. I love it. Hey, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. And he just, here's a little story for you. And then he's super, can you imagine feeling like this guy examined your soul? Because then in the application, in the end, a little story for you. Let's go what she did and compare it to what you did. Who loves much? Jesus exposes this Pharisee for spurning what she's doing. And yet this is nothing but an act of worship and love for being forgiven much. And this guy's being exposed and said, yeah, and you did nothing. You, you didn't wash my feet. <laughs> you, you didn't anoint me with oil. You didn't do any of that. And she did that with her own tears and her hair and her own precious ointment. And she doesn't have half near a quarter of what you have. Talk about a pointed application to the parable he told. 
about he who's forgiven much loves much. He who's forgiven little loves little. And this is the thing. This is always what happens. Because in that culture, if you really understand what's going on, we can, we can relate to Simon. Because think about it for a moment. It's ceremonially and socially really bad, bad, bad in that culture. If you were being touched by a prostitute who's seen as someone who's wicked, sinful, and unclean, in that environment, you could, you could see how you'd start to squirm a bit. Because just imagine if a prostitute came up to you at a church party and started washing your feet with her tears. I mean, it's, that's weird all on its own, just because that would never happen in our culture, ever. Uh, but you almost have to relate to their culture. You'd feel a little more than awkward, especially if you do. Maybe some people here know who this person is. And I'm allowing this person to touch my feet in this weird way. It's like, awkward. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. I don't care. You know, if, if the other disciples are sitting there and said, I, we're kind of with Simon. I kind of get it. We're awkward. This is awkward for us, too. This is just not cool at all. And I, well, I'm not liking it, and I'm sure that, um, you know, how can Jesus actually be, how could he allow this to happen? Because this is going to taint his image. Well, J- Jesus is so secure in who he is that it doesn't bother him one bit. He isn't interested in the slightest in what others think of him. He's interested in what his father thinks of him and in loving others. That's his passion. What does my father think of me and I just want to love others? That's, that's where his passion and his heart is. And this is ultimately the reason why hypocrites will spurn Jesus and those who follow them. Because a hypocrite is a man-pleaser who is posing to be a God-pleaser. This happens all the time in churches. We might look down our noses at others because they don't have their liturgy just right or their doctrine just right or whatever else just right, but they love Jesus with unbridled passion. But because loving Jesus doesn't seem to matter that much, nearly as much as getting all this stuff right, that's what really matters. We get caught in hypocrisy. We end up disdaining those who are zealous and sincere, but don't cross their liturgical T's nor dot their doctrinal lies. We're bothered with them because they have so many things wrong, but they have the right things right. They have the main thing right. I recently read the story of a preacher who said this, Shortly after my conversion, I went out preaching in the Chinese villages. I had a good education and was well-versed in the scriptures. So I considered myself thoroughly capable of instructing the village folk. And among them were quite a number of illiterate women. But after several visits, I discovered that despite their illiteracy, those women had an intimate knowledge of the Lord. I knew the book, but they knew the one of whom the book spoke. I had much in myself. They had much in the spirit. 
Now, isn't that often the case? We get all puffed up with our knowledge and understanding and think that it's like all these things we need to know. We think that we know better often, often than others because we have better learning, better instruction, better study. But we don't know Jesus any better. And in many cases, we know him less. Now, I don't want to say this to despise learning, to despise liturgy, to despise these things. That's not the point. Because you can love Jesus and know those things. But the point is, if you slip off of Jesus and you miss the point of loving him and what he's done for you, you are off in a horrible ditch going down a horrible road. Because the main thing, the central thing, the most important thing is that we know him. And we know the power of his resurrection. We know his grace. We know what he's done for us. We know all that he is for us. And that causes our hearts to rejoice and to give thanks. Because one thing we'll notice from this text is that when we are led to Jesus like this, Jesus gladly, he forgives us. When we come to him in humility and we delight in him, he gladly forgives us. And the forgiving gladly love. That's the response. In verse 41 and following, Jesus te- when Jesus tells that parable to Simon about the moneylender and about the different sums and the debt owed and how the unforgiving and upon forgiving them both, the one with the larger debt loves more, then Jesus relates to Simon, relates us, like I said, to Simon and the woman and compares and shows the difference. And then he gives us the great summary to show us the main principle here, the main point, that he's forgiven much, loves much. And then just to really mess with Simon, perhaps anybody else who was like him in a Pharisaical, who might have been there, he says out loud, he says out loud at the end of this to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, she, her sins, he'd already done that earlier, so she's, as, I, as we looked at, she's responding to her forgiveness. But he does it, I, I know, I could just see the... He just wants to say this out loud. Because when he says it, and then those, the, the Pharisee would just be like, um, verse 49, who is this who even forgives sins? This is why they accused him of blasphemy, because only God for, can forgive sins. And yet he forgave them. It was their self-righteous, hardened unbelief that blinded their eyes from seeing Jesus. Jesus is revealing to them that he is God because they know that only God can forgive sins, and that's what Jesus did. Yet because of their self-righteous unbelief, they can't believe it. They don't see it. What we can't miss here is that when this woman's sins were piled high, and everyone who knows her knew that she was as dirty as they come. She was she had an unpayable debt to Jesus, a massive debt. Because Jesus was the one who created her. Jesus was the one who made her for his glory. He was the one who called her to reflect his image. Yet what did she do? She rebelled, she ignored, she lusted, she was proud, she went after her own passions and self-will, and she had rejected her God, so her debt to Jesus was massive. And yet, Jesus looked in her face and gladly said, 
I forgive you. I forgive you. Your debt to me against me, Jesus says, has been canceled. I will pay for it in full. What love. What grace. What a Savior. Jesus looks at this woman with sins piled high and says, I forgive you. I forgive you. You know, the amazing thing is, she isn't special. It's not like, wow, to be her, that one person who got forgiveness. Do you realize that Jesus is willing, more than willing to forgive anyone, and let me repeat, anyone their debt, no matter how huge, simply by turning to him, asking, and then believing that he will. As Jesus said to her, your faith has healed you. It's not like uh, the faith, sorry, he said your faith has saved you. It's not like... Does faith save? No, Jesus saves, but faith is the medium by which we embrace Jesus. But if we don't turn to Jesus, we don't ask him and we don't believe that he will, we will not receive. There will be those who despise his offer. There will be those who reject his offer. There will be those who don't think they need his offer. And then there will be those who simply just can't believe this offer. But none of that changes the offer. Jesus brings the year of Jubilee. He arrived to cancel the debt. Anyone and everyone, I don't care who you are, where you are, Jesus looks and he says, I will forgive it all. Just turn to me. Just come to me. And I'll gladly forgive it. The only people who don't receive it are those who reject him, those who turn from him. The offers offers given to the world, anyone and everyone, I don't care who you are, he says, I will gladly just turn to me and I'll say forgiven. Debt canceled. You go free. Yet there are those who will reject him. Those who will not go to him and receive their pardon. And those people are to be pitied above all. And the most to be pitied are people who sit and hear and hear and hear, but don't turn to Jesus. And don't embrace it. You know, one of the things that's hardest for church people sometimes is actually the believing. They, 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 they get it all, they know it all, they sit there, but they, they have a hard time receiving it. They struggle right there. They believe it for everybody else. Have you ever done that? Believe for everybody else, but you yourself have a hard time? How could he truly forgive me? Did you know what I thought this week? We have a hard time going to him. We have a hard time accepting because we, you know what that is? That's that self-righteousness in us. We want to, we, it's hard to receive the free thing. I like to receive things I paid for. I feel, I don't feel good when I get things I didn't pay for. I don't like free stuff. Unless there's, I don't have to look that person in the eye. And when they, they look me in the eye, want to give me something free. It's like, nah, nah, nah. Um, what, what is that? It's my pride, my self-righteousness. I want to earn it. It's hard for me to accept absolutely free and just allow that gift to come, to receive it. 
and to absolutely believe it and have it as your own and let that overwhelm you. That crushes our self-righteousness. That crushes our pride. And maybe for you, there was a time in your life when you acted a lot like that woman. When you did love Jesus like this. But it's grown cold. If this is the case, I will guarantee you that you have either lost sight of your debt that you owe, or you've lost sight of the holiness of God, or you've lost sight of what Jesus has done for you. You've lost sight of it. Or maybe you've gotten away from the centrality of, all, of Jesus, and you've gotten caught up in all the peripherals, and you've almost forgotten about what he's done for you. If you get away from this, if you start to lose your understanding of your own sin, God's holiness, and Jesus' forgiveness, you will grow cold. You will become indifferent. You've got to ask God, you've got to plead with Him that He would refresh you, that He would allow you to see yourself as you really are. He would allow Him to to show you Himself as He really is and allow you to see Jesus clearly. If you want to become like this woman and you want to have your heart bursting with joy and you want to fall on your face and worship Jesus and you can't believe, you could care less who's looking, you could care less who's seeing, you you just want to give Him everything and all all of your life and everything you have. If you want to be that person, you truly have to have your eyes open so that you can clearly see See yourself, see God, see Jesus, and embrace it. And I'll tell you what, you will love much. Love much. You will gladly love much. You will joyfully love much. Because he who's forgiven much, loves much. Amen. Father, oh man, what amazing love grace and goodness there is in Jesus. And I beg of you, oh Lord, help us. I want to be like this woman and I want to see my sins. I want to see your holiness and I want to see Jesus' forgiveness in greater depths than I've ever known it. I pray for every person here. I don't know where people are at, what's going on in their lives, but I ask, Father, that you would work mightily in their hearts to break them so that they would have eyes to see. That their sins are mounted high and it's awful, it's ugly compared to your holiness and how we sinned against you. But your grace and your forgiveness is beyond understanding in Jesus. Father, please, help us to see that we would be like this woman and worship and give everything in our hearts to you and love you with everything in us. For we ask this in Jesus. Amen.